0: Amen. Awesome. If you guys have got your Bibles um, or a Bible on your phone, go ahead and turn, please, to the book of Acts. And actually, you can go right to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to be picking up right where Pastor Eric left off last week, and um, this is really... It's just this amazing part of of the beginning of the story of what the church is. If this is your first week, I got to tell you, it is so good that you're here this week. If this is like, or if you're here and you're like, I'm not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here this week because this kind of paints a picture of what Christianity is supposed to be about. Not the the caricature or the cliche um, or the worst version of, but actually what the the, the roots of of the church was. We start seeing that in Acts chapter 2. This all takes place um, from the, the, the author Luke, who was a guy who wanted to have a historical and logical and chronological accounting not only of his previous work, which was the, the Gospel of Luke, which accounted for Jesus' ministry, but also how the church kick-started and went from there. And so if, if you've if you got your Bibles open, go to Acts chapter 2 um, verses 42 and following, and please stand with me as we read this. And again, this is um, just to give you context. Jesus has died on the cross, he's risen from the grave, he's taught his disciples, and as he's taught his disciples, um, now they are going, um, they, they actually received the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches to this massive group, and 3,000 people get saved, and so now you've got the couple hundred people who are the eyewitnesses of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and now you've got these several thousand group of people that have added to that number, and that's where we are picking up the story. In chapter 2, verses 42 and following, it says this, they They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We talked uh, several weeks back about the fact that the mission that was given by Jesus right after he rose from the grave, and he's, he's talking to his disciples right before he, he actually goes back to be with the Father. He, he shocks them that he's not sticking around. And this is something that was a major disappointment to them because they were thinking, hey, this is when, when everything's going to happen. We're going to kick Rome, the oppressor, to the curb. We're going to actually step out of that. And instead, the, the, Jesus gives them an alternate mission. It's what we call the Great Commission. And it's recorded a little bit in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, but, but one of the eyewitnesses who are there, who was there, Matthew, records it this way. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And the highlighted word there is What? disciples. That's right. Yeah, this is one of those weird words that if you grew up in church, that word, you, you maybe even if you didn't grow up in church, it's a weird word. We think about like disciples as these bearded dudes with tunics and like a you know what I'm talking about? Like flannel graph ready people that are like, just like, that's like first century, that's way back then, like a disciple. We don't like go around, as like, oh yeah, you know, I, I ran into this disciple at work today when I was in Chicago. No, we don't say, it like, that's this such an archaic word. Maybe a better way to put it is this. A disciple is someone who looks at somebody else and just goes, you know, I'm so impressed by you. I'm so blown away with your life. I'm so like convinced that the way that the way that your life is rolling is so radically different than mine, but when I look at me and I look at you, I want to be like you. I, I, whatever it is that you're doing, I want to do that. And if you're in a profession right now that you love, you probably have someone like this. Like a mentor or someone who like is like just, they've got the, car, the, the market cornered in this particular area. Whether it's or even like in sports or, or, or music or art. Or again, the craft that you serve, there's like someone who's just killing it. And you're like, I'm looking at you, I'm so impressed by your life, I'm so blown away by how you are are killing it right now in this field. I want to be just like you, which of course brings us to Michael Jordan. Now, I'm going to Michael Jordan because that's the last athletic reference I think that I have because I'm just not that much of, you know. But Michael Jordan, I remember, because my family, we moved from La Crescenta, California, to Torrance, California. And, and within Torrance, we were in the Los Angeles Unified School District, and everyone loved basketball. Now, in LA, you would think that they'd be what kind of fans? Lakers. Not the Clippers. Lakers, right. But no one, that, when I was in fifth grade, was a Lakers fan. Who were they fans of? the Bulls. And I was like, oh, the Bulls from Chicago. I couldn't even find Chicago on a map if you paid me back then, but I knew this guy. And I knew this guy so much that I went to Kmart, and I bought like a pack of these white wristbands, like uh, sweatbands, that I didn't put on my wrist. Where did I put it? Right, right there, because that was where Mike, Mike, he had a song. You remember the song? Like, Mike, I want to be like, Yes, and and people grew up wanting to be like him. Even me, even me, this like little white kid, uh, the lone white kid on the playground, when I'm going up for a layup, what am I doing? (sighs) (laughs) Because he did that everyone who wanted to be good at basketball were suddenly studying one person. It wasn't someone from the past. It was someone from the present. And they were recognizing that this guy, this guy was so great because he practiced. And we're going to practice just like him. We're going to learn just like him. And you want to know outside of me, another person that was watching this guy's every move? This guy. LeBron James. LeBron James. Who's playing for the Lakers? Is somebody who actually like grew up just like me and everyone in my age bracket, looking, watching, wanting to be like Mike, studying. Now the thing is that LeBron James didn't say, "Okay, I'm going to be Michael. I'm going to be the successor to the throne," and he just stepped into it. Every day, hour after hour, he practiced it. Why? Because he was a disciple of Michael Jordan. He was a disciple of his. He wanted to be just like. Him. maybe another way to put this like when Jesus called his 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 disciples disciples, but he also called them his followers these were these were committed christ followers okay these were people that were following him and and the thing is is that that we we have this word today, but we kind of like muddied it up in our in our current cultural lexicon because you can have a follower that you have zero relationship with right like if if you're on Twitter. Um, you you know that uh, on Twitter, you can have like tons and tons of followers that don't know you. I mean, you can have thousands of followers who have no relationship with you, celebrities, or even just people who are writing books or whatever. They have thousands upon thousands of what? Followers who have never met them, who never will meet them, who, who don't really have a relationship with them. They just know everything about them. And every time they say a word, they're like, ooh, I just, I read that. At two in the morning, I read the words that they wrote, and I had it private. I feel like we, I feel like we know each other. You don't know each other. So why, why you're, fo- you're following someone you have no relationship with. You know what you call someone you follow that you have no relationship with? Stalker. Bingo. <laughs> you know it. Some of you are. I bet you need to seriously get some help. Stalker. If you have no relationship with someone, but you're like, oh, I'm all about knowing everything about them, you're a stalker. Jesus did not call stalkers. It, Come, be my stalkers. <laughs> Study me. Study everything I said and have zero relationship with me. No, Jesus called for disciples or followers, people who looked at Jesus and said, I am so compelled by the fact that I'm not just like even like attributing to you this myth. It's easy to like spin Christianity as maybe it's like just a happy Hallmark story until you get to the reality that it just doesn't add up. And again as we've said so many times, the thing that's leading so many open-minded agnostics and atheists today to Christianity is the evidence of the resurrection, it being the only a physical resurrection being the only explanation for why you and I are here today because it was such a against the grain idea. Jesus calls followers and he doesn't just call them to believe like, the mission wasn't, okay, I want you to believe that I, I died on the cross and rose from the grave, and that'll be the mission accomplished. That'll be the mission. No. He said, I want you to follow me. I want you to be my disciples, and since you're my disciples, I want you to go and actually make more disciples. Teach other people about all the stuff that I said and did, to which any of the disciples were like, not us. I mean, seriously, not a, if you're leaving, we're toast. We are so, this is way over our pay grade. There's no possible way we could possibly do that. And Jesus is like, no, that's so true. And then we get into Acts, and we hear what he says next. Before going back to the Father, he says, but you will receive power. See, you feel powerless, and for good reason, because you you know you. But I know you, too, and I know exactly what you need. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit, who is also God, comes on you. This is the coolest thing. The disciples thought that they were being shortchanged by the physical Jesus leaving the building. But Jesus said, this is going to be to your benefit. Why? Because you can walk away from physical Jesus. They did. They ran away from physical Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit indwells you, he's with you everywhere. That's amazing. That's so much better. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the mission. Which of course brings us to May 1st, 2003 on the USS Abraham Lincoln. You guys remember what happened on that? Remember? No? Here's a clue. Now this is, to be fair, this is before many of you were born, okay? (laughs) But this was a very embarrassing day for President George W. Bush. Do you remember why? What was the banner? This took place in the midst of the Iraq War, and somebody, it wasn't George W. Bush, but someone in his, on his team had the great idea to have this, like, 50-foot banner printed that said, mission accomplished. The problem was, the mission was not accomplished yet. They still had years of combat, years of still trying to have a power struggle between them and, 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 and all of those in Iraq that they were, that they were opponents of. George W. Bush never said once in his speech, mission accomplished. In fact, what he said was the mission continues. And he was highlighting major milestones in that mission. But nobody remembered that because all they could remember was this huge, just ginormous banner behind him that said, mission accomplished when the mission was yet to be accomplished. Do we do that? I went on this amazing backpacking uh, trip earlier this year. Um, that's me on the far left. That, that dude right there is a guy named Josh Graber. Then there's Eli. Then there's my brother Josh. If you ever hear me telling crazy stories about my brother, the lawyer, that's him. Please don't tell him. That's Larry on the far right. We decided to go on this amazing backpacking trip where we did like 30 plus miles in the back country of Colorado at this place called Maroon Bells, where you're going through four four passes, like you're going up four peaks, up and down, up and down each one of these things. And, and the maroon bells have got an awesome nickname that we didn't tell any of our wives before we the trip. And the, the nickname is the deadly bells. And so we made up these stickers also, we didn't show our wives the stickers before we got back, but the deadly bell strike is what we called it, and it was just that. It was treacherous. It was intense, and we were sucking air the whole time as we were going just up and up and up and up, and when we got to the first of the four passes, we got up there, and we were euphoric, like absolutely euphoric. Could we declare, mission accomplished? Could we? Why? We're not done. We wanted to be done. We weren't. So we went down. We, had to, we went, went up that peak. We went down. We went down the other side. We kept on hiking, hiking, hiking. Then we started going back up. We got to the next pass. We got to that pass. We were euphoric. It was amazing. It was like, finally, we're here. Woo! Mission accomplished? No! We had to walk down that mountain to the other side of that mountain and keep on going. And we kept on going till we got to the third peak. And we got to there. Mission accomplished? No! We walked down that mountain and we got to the fourth peak. And we were way too tired to take pictures. But we got there. At that point, we were like, we're going to need a helicopter to get us out of here. This is like awful. There's nobody out in the back country. You can't drive to where we were going. And we were just like, <gasps> but it was amazing. It was amazing. You know, one of the, the craziest thing is this. None of those high points were mission accomplished. This was mission accomplished. Walking out. Walking out was mission accomplished. Going up each one of those peaks was part of the mission, but we would be fools if we would have thought that, okay, boom, we're done. We could call it a day. It's done. We've mission accomplished this sucker big time. We're done. Uh Uh-uh. That was mission accomplished. And the reality is this, that what we had a chance to see was phenomenal. We would have never, ever, ever, ever had a chance to see it had we stopped at the first peak or had we stopped when everything went sideways or when we gave up, when we had lost hope that we were gonna be able to get through this one particular section, it was phenomenal. The mission realized for us was that each one of those four peaks was part of the process. As Christians, we we are so lame at this. We, we, We mess this up over and over again because oftentimes we declare mission accomplished before we have permission or authority to declare mission accomplished because we misread what the mission actually is. The mission is not that you believe. The mission is not that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, putting your trust in his death and resurrection on the cross. That's part of the mission. But that's not the whole mission. And these guys picked up on that in the passage we just read. Let's take a look at that again. What we get a chance to see is this. In this passage, we get to understand that for this early group of of Christians, they actually didn't have four peaks that they were dealing with. They, they actually had, instead, they had like three. So we're going to go and do this. And we're just going to talk. If you're taking notes, you've got like <laughs> just three peaks in your notes, which is kind of weird. But the first peak was this. The first part of this mountain climb that they had could be found as you're going through these verses. Take a look at them. The first one is this. They devoted themselves to what? the apostles teaching. What apostles teaching? What were they teaching? How to tie your shoes, how to drive a car, how to vote properly. What what were they teaching? They were teaching about what Jesus taught them. They were teaching all about this amazing reality of what Jesus accomplished and that they had an opportunity to be real with God. This is so amazing because one of the things that we see in this passage is this. these folks, the apostles, were the ones who were with Jesus from the get-go. They had an opportunity to see all of the things that they had to doubt and everything else. And now they're teaching people who used to be in on team hater of Jesus, and now they're on team Jesus. They used to be against the gospel, now they're all about it. And so they're like, they're, they're hungry for this. Like, tell us, you guys walked, we made fun of you guys, but you guys walked with him. And now that we know that he's God, We got to know stuff that we were like totally opposed to and skeptical and cynical even about before. And so they said, okay, we're going to teach you all what he taught us. Because after Jesus died and rose again, he did this amazing job of teaching them. And what he taught them was this. He went back to the Old Testament and said, remember this? And they're like, yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, it wasn't just a story, but check this out. It was pointing somewhere. And this is why the cross fulfilled it. Remember this part of the Old Testament? Yeah, I never understood that. Totally confused. Let me bring clarity. Do you remember what happened just a couple days ago? That's what it was all about. No way. And so over and over, they're realizing these amazing things about the Bible that before they were just like, I kind of got it, but now I see it in clarity. And they can't get it. It's not that they ought to read the Bible or they ought to hear about the Old Testament. They understood that. These guys grew up at maybe, some of them were kind of religious. Some of them were probably just like middle of the road, like, yeah, I kind of do it because it's like, the Hebrew thing to do, Passover's cool. I loved it as a kid, but it's like not like connecting. And then there's other disciples that are, were just like completely off the rails in their faith. They were making decisions that were so far from God, they should have never been accepted by God until Jesus did. And so now they get a chance to pass this on to this group of people, all the stuff that Jesus taught. And then also, like, do you remember when we were like at, at that, one, that one part of the lake and that thing happened and we were all dying laughing? Remember what Jesus said then? And they're passing that on, and passing it on, and passing it on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to what else? When was the last time you prayed to one of your friends? I hope you don't raise your hand saying it was recently. Because that's weird. Like, I love my friend Carlos. I do. But full disclosure, I've never... Carlos, who leads us in worship, I've never went like, dear Carlos... Julie's going to Haiti. Will you please keep her? No, that's just what in the world. You would never do that. But these guys all of a sudden are experiencing just that. They're like now praying to the person they had lunch with two weeks ago. Do you think that was bizarre? Do you think that was, I mean, going from understanding some rote prayers that they understood, praying to God that they grew up traditionally praying, and all of a sudden they're just like talking to their friend God about what happened in that day? How weird would, could, I wonder if this was like super bizarre or if it was the most natural and normative thing that they could possibly do, where looking back on their past seemed like weird and bizarre. Like, have you ever had a weird dream, like a super, super weird, maybe even disturbing dream, and you, but it was vivid. I mean, it was so real. And you're like, oh man, I can't wait to tell someone this. This happens to me all the time. I tell Julie, I'm like, oh, Julie, I had this dream, and Julie's just like, she, you could just see her eyes beginning to roll. And then I'm like, no, no, no. It was like so real. And I started telling her. And then the more that you talk, the more you realize you sound like an idiot. Like, no, it was our house, but it wasn't our house. And then this guy came in and he was a postman, but he wasn't a post. And you keep on talking and your, your wife is looking at you like, are you high? What is the, What is going on here? Why are you talking like this? And as you keep on trying to like bat at home, you, the more you're like, ah, oh, this is frustrating trying to reiterate this because it, it sounds jumbled. It sounds good. Right now, I'm lucid, and apparently, in my dream, everything seemed like they were complete, but they weren't. I think that's probably what it was like for the disciples. Everything growing up to that point, which made so much sense, seemed almost bizarre, if disconnected from Jesus. Like, what Jesus did was all of a sudden, reality check. Reality has seeped in. And they're starting to even talk to him. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts, of course. Because, like, if you're like religious, it's like a good place to, like, I, like people even like, look, I'm not even religious, but that, if we're gonna talk about God, we know who he is. We saw him just a couple weeks back. They're going there and they're talking there and they're praising God. So, what does this look like for us? For us, I mean, just like the, the people right here, we, we get a chance to experience the fact that God has called us to also be the people that are devoted to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. I mean, we don't, it's not like we should read God's word or it's, it's a good thing or we get like some super cool like heaven gold stars or something for it. We, we want to. I want to know more about him. And I'll be honest, when, when, when someone first becomes a Christian, it's so cool because they get like, they devour the Bible. And then they get religious. And then it's like, ah, I'm kind of like bored with Bible reading. It's kind of like, I remember that being fresh and new and cool and, and exciting, but I'm just kind of like, eh man, what if we return to that? What if, we, what, if we, what if we had the perspective on that? This happened, and it's happening. But, but also, like, the fact that these guys were so committed to meet, and again, these were people who were, like, they're, they could have been the type of people that are like, yeah, you know, I mean, my granny, she's in the temple courts every day, super religious, but I don't ever want to be like my granny. Like, you could be my, like my granny, but super religious always at church, but that's not me. But then all of a sudden they met Jesus. And all of a sudden it's like, it's not just like this, again, this do-gooder type thing. It's like, it's a centering reality where when I get together with God's people, it's like all of a sudden something happens where I can, exp- I can worship alongside them. And the, the most, the truest part of my life where everything feels like it's up in the air, the truest part of my life can center the rest of my week. And so I, I, you know, for us at a tr- our church, we look at this as an op- op- what we're doing right here as an opportunity to take that step of being real with God. We're worshiping alongside brothers and sisters. We get a chance to, to worship God um, alongside each other. But you showed up. Is that mission accomplished? If the point was just getting you to church, some of you feel like that was mission accomplished getting here today. You're like, seriously, you have no idea what my week was like. <laughs> but if that was the whole point, just getting to church, you and I would not be here today. It would have stopped right there and missed the final line, which talked about how every day the Lord was adding to the, their number, those who were being saved. See, these guys actually recognized that they were not just simply called to own this idea, but they were called to share this idea. Like, like with the people in their world. Like that was the other part of the mountain. They're going up one peak, but they got to come down the other side to like recognize that I, I don't know everything about God, but I can share the fact that he's important in my life, that, that, he's, that I actually believe that he is who he is, said he was. The reason I go to church is not because I'm a holy person or special or loved by God more than you, but because that's who I am. And simply by sharing what you know, you're being a witness. You're being real with God. Check out the next thing. They, not only were they real and authentic with God, but they're also expressing this. They devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Just really quick, that word fellowship up there, again, super churchy word. In my church land that I grew up in, that just meant people got together and they ate like jello and casseroles and stuff. That's fellowship. It's like basically, does it have trans fat? Fellowship. That was kind of it. But that's the word in Greek, it's koinonia. And koinonia means like, no, 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 no. You're not, you have this newfound authenticity with the people around you. You actually have the opportunity to be real with each other. And that is huge, because these people, as much as it says right there that, verse 44, all the believers were together, had everything in common, that's a joke before Jesus. These were people who had different religious slants, different political slants. There were people who were hardcore political, and people who were apathetic towards a political system. There were people who came from different socioeconomic parts of the world. And you know what's weird? Jesus chose, like, one of each. Like, let's see what happens with this. This is going to be my launch pad, the apostles that are going to be the ones that launch this mission to the whole world. The reason that we put all these weird papers up the way that they are is because these are like reflections of us. We're all these stories that God has written. And each of us are incomplete. Each of us are unique, but each of us are incomplete. We're broken and scarred by the reality of this world. The reason that we're coming together and united is not because we're so special or flashy or gorgeous, we're crinkled and messed up oftentimes. The thing that brings us together is, is Jesus who's bringing this diverse group of people into this, like this quilt, this blanket of people that, that only he could unite. And so for these folks, they recognize this. Even though they were totally different, they looked at a, a key part of their world, a key part of their DNA was going to be them actually climbing that mountain. There was going to be something where they were going to be, that was going to be their peak. That they were going to be the type of people that, that were going to bust out of what was taking place in the temple courts in the ma- major big gatherings, and they were going to actually get together. They, and this is how sincere they were. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know what? I don't know what your definition of a friend is, but a friend is probably the person where like, it's two in the morning, and, and you're freaking out, and you can call that person. Or, or you've been kicked out for the third time. And you have no answers or no, no, no clue of what to do. But this is the person that you can call. Or, or you're in a situation where you're moving. And this is the person that's the first to jump in and say, I'll help you out and I'm going to bring pizza too. And it's not going to be cheap pizza. It's going to be actually good pizza. These are friends. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Not anyone they were tight with before this. Anyone who had need. Why? Because they said, even though we're not blood, and I have no incentive for giving to you. We have connection because we are connected to a very real God. And we have an opportunity to be real with each other. They broke bread in their homes. They didn't stay in the temple courts. They let it eke out into the parking lot and go home with them where they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It's not in this translation, but I think in the original Greek it says, and they had lots of coffee. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and enjoying the favor of all the people. Folks, Things don't just unite people. Tragedy unites people. Very few times does something good unite people. Sometimes, like, like for example, the Cubs win. You've been waiting for for a long time. That'll unite people for a couple of months. This is going on 2,000 years. And the thing that's so cool is this. The fact that they recognize we need to be in situations where we're looking at God's word, and we can actually raise our hand and say, wait, hold on, I don't even know if I believe this. Like, I'm doubting this and not get kicked out. Or, or I got questions about this. I don't understand how this works out in my real life. And then they can be poured into. At this church, we big time believe in groups. So we put, have groups in our nursery, Adventure Outpost, all the way up through junior high, high school, up to Life Bridge. our 55 plus group of people. We have, we have Celebrate Recovery. We have Reengage for, for couples. We want groups because you need to be in a group where you can sit down and have a face-to-face, where you can raise your hand and disagree or doubt or be prayed for. Hey, I've had an awful week. My marriage is—it's absolutely flatlined, and it's not tanking right now. I need help. I, I don't know what to do about my parents with, the, with regard to this situation. You can't do that in here, can you? You need environments where you're sitting in groups. And so, if you're in a small group in one of those small groups, awesome. If you're not, you need to get in one. Jump in. Go to the guest tab. Find out one and get in. But when you get there, mission accomplished. No, the next thing you do is you basically go, okay, well, who do I know that that's actually already connected in with the family of God, but they're, they're not. I mean, they're, they're kind of like showing up with me at church, that's awesome, but they're not experiencing the opportunity to have that kind, of, that kind of interaction that I'm able to have. The real with each other, the real with each other is something that I think is one of the unique things about Christianity that we oftentimes can sabotage. Because we still get tribal and we start dividing up. Man, we we're called to something so much greater. But the part of this verse that just chokes me up every single time is verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being, what? Saved. Or another word for that is rescued. Because you see, because this is the cool thing. This is the, this is the guts of it. Their mission was never just about them having a connection with God or even a connection with other Christians. That, that the truth is, is that this, all of these authentic relationships spill necessarily into the world around them. That if it doesn't, there's something artificial about it or artificial about you because we authentically share things that are real to us. We, we, we bury things that we're embarrassed or, but that are or that are inauthentic. But these folks, they realize that another key part of their whole identity was going to be that final peak of letting this go from here out. 40 years ago, Manuka Bible Church was planted by two dudes, Dick Seavers and Vernon Johnson and 38 other people. And now we have a church. We've been a church for 40 years. Mission accomplished, right? No. The amazing thing about Vernon Johnson and Dick Seavers is that they actually recognized, I, they had no hope that the church was gonna grow. You know why? Because they wanted to teach the Bible and have a place where people were authentic with God and each other, and they thought that would never sell anybody. Who wants that? Especially in Manuka. And so, but they they wanted to plant this church in Manuka. You know, who one of the first people who showed up was Joyce Satorius. Joyce actually, she uh, was the first person who came to Manuka Bible Church. She had no no inclination about faith. She actually didn't believe. She didn't believe that. She thought that the whole Jesus thing was kind of a myth. And she was one of the people who received a flyer about this new church. And she heard the gospel. She heard about the Bible. And all of a sudden, it, like, it was weird because it didn't feel religious. It felt like something that was connected to the very purpose of her whole life, the mission of her whole life from, from the get-go. But finally, she, she, she understood it. And she asked Jesus to forgive her sins. And here's the thing. If you don't know Joyce Satorius, um, you haven't been here for five minutes. Joyce is our office administrator. And she's the one who's been here for 40 years as our office administrator And she's still impacting people's lives. But the thing I love about that is that we're a church that is here and we could say, mission accomplished. Look at all these people that are here. This is so great. Look at you. You're wonderful. You're beautiful people. Great. This is great. Let's just be stoked about what God's doing here. But that would only be part of the mission. Many years ago, we we realized that God was calling us to plant. And and we really felt led by God to, to lean in on that being in Morris. And so when we were realizing that, same thing that those initial disciples were realizing, that the, the mission realized was that we need to be real with God, real with each other, and our steps to being real in the world calls us to actually not just stay here and build and, and get to just gather and grow, but to gather, grow, and then go and to send out. And so, so we, we, we knew that Morris was going to be the place. And we realized right away that if we were going to be one church in two locations, Manuka Bible Church was not going to work. You can't have Manuka Bible Church of Morris. And everyone from Morris said, amen. Don't ever think about that. And so we realized that we needed a new name. After 40 years, I mean, it's like, like when, 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 someone, when, a, when a bride is getting married, she has to contemplate, am I really wanting to take this guy's last name? And that's a, that's a transition, but, but it's, it's fascinating when, when, when brides do that because they're saying, this is worth it enough to me that I'm making that decision. And similarly, we had to come to the same decision as the bride, and we said we, we need to come up with a name that's going to be able to work in both locations or wherever else God calls us to plant down the road. And as we did that, we we just we asked the church for help, and so we got like two pages of suggestions. We didn't want to know anyone's name; we wanted to be totally anonymous, just the name and the reason why. And you submitted them, and many of those were just awful. They were terrible, <laughs> horrible names. No church ever should be named what's not you guys, but the other services. <laughs> Their submissions lame, but your but yeah somebody. Somebody submitted a a name that when we we saw it, it was in the midst of 10. And then we whittled 10 down to to eight, and then from eight down to, to four. And it was in the midst of three and four. And then eventually it was the one that we were starting to field test along with a bunch of others, people in our congregation and people who are not Christians outside of our congregation. Just when you hear this, what are you saying? We wanted a name that reflected who we are and where we're going and the fact that we recognize that here is not all that we're about. We're also about those out there. And so as we were going through that, that final name surfaced. And folks, would you like to know what it is? Okay. As of today, this church is transitioning. After 40 years, we're stepping into a new place following the mission of Jesus. And we are going to be called Mission Bible Church. A community of Christ followers who are committed to being real with God, real with each other, and real in the world. It is his mission that, we, that the initial followers were following, the full mission, not just us getting being believers, but us get, being disciples and making disciples. That is going to be the thing that's going to take us into the next chapter. This is sitting on the shoulders of Dick, uh, Dick Seavers and Vernon Johnson and, and actually following their, their, the path that they went through. Um, really quick, if you've ever gotten one of those first-time visitor mugs that has the NBC logo on it, those are now worth tons of money on eBay. <laughs> you're welcome. Second thing, keep this hush hush until next service gets out, okay? But if you within our logo, the, the left side is Manuka. The logo itself is, is three M's. The left side is Manuka. The right side is Morris. And the thing that brings Manuka and Morris together is the mission of Jesus. It is the mission that brings us together. We are one church with multiple campuses, and our goal is to continue to live out and flesh out the realized vision that Jesus had for us and the people around us that he loves so much, and you're a part of that. Amen? Amen. Okay, so this is cool. You're a part of this. And again, this is your first weekend here. Woo! Awesome. I'm stoked that you're here, because you get a chance to take some steps in this. But you may be someone who is like, this is foreign to me. So let me just lay it out really quickly here for you. If you're like, I love the idea of what you're talking about with regard to Christ and Jesus and and what he did, but I've never crossed that line. I may have done church my whole life, but it's always felt an arm's distance. What we do as a church to remind us of what he accomplished is we take the Lord's Supper. It's communion. This is actually open to anyone in this congregation who has received Jesus. This is gift of salvation. Jesus did a work for you on the cross. He died on the cross and he rose again. Anyone who's received that, whether you're from out of town or not, this is a table for you. It's an opportunity for you to renew your vows to him, basically. Reset, have a reset button. And to do so in congregation with other believers. But if you're not a believer, if you're not someone who's, who's actually already crossed that line, there's nothing that's a prerequisite. Any hoops that you have to jump through or proving that you have to do to get to this table. Jesus is extended to you free. It's grace. And it's simply the surrendering point of saying, I am surrendering my sin, my rebellion against you, to your forgiveness. I'm putting my trust in your work for me instead of my work for myself. And because of that, because I've embraced the mission that God had for me, that he did not want the end of the story with me disconnected from him, but he did the work to bring me close to what Jesus accomplished, I'm able to take the bread, which represents his body, not my body, his body, broken for me I take the cup which represents his blood we've said it before every wine every grape juice any any kind of juice that comes from fruit has to be something has to die something has to be crushed in order for that to take place and our faith surrounds not a victory after victory after victory but victory that came after the defeat of Christ on the cross which was victory over sin for us and if you're in him that's your story I'm gonna give you an opportunity to spend just a moment in prayer before I release us out of our rows on the left-hand side. And when you do that, just to exit your row on the left-hand side, to take the bread and the cup and come back to your row on the right-hand side. If this is your story, if that's who you are, you're connected to Christ through faith, then I want you to participate in that and spend a couple moments in reflection. If you're not, what if you cross that line right now? I'm gonna give you some space to do that in this prayer. Don't become a Christian because of all the incentives. Don't become a Christian because it's going to make you a better person or a better neighbor or a better citizen or a better girlfriend or boyfriend. Become a Christian because it's true. What Jesus did actually happened, his mission to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, for anyone in here who is far from you, Lord, you've given the opportunity to cross over literally from death to life. The trajectory of our life is altered when it's connected to you and what you accomplished on the cross. If you've never surrendered to Jesus, in your own words, just between you and him, silently respond. Put your trust in his work for you. Ask him to forgive you of your distance and your rebellion. The choices that you knew were off and the choices that you had no idea. Ask him to make you new through the forgiveness that only he can provide. And then ask him to lead you into the mission and the purpose of the life that he's called you into. Lord Jesus, I pray that that is the prayer of people here for the first time and that's the echo of a prayer for the rest of us. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us and what you've accomplished on the cross. It's for you and your glory that we live. It's in the memory of your work for us that we take this bread, that we take this cup. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go and exit your rows. Bring the elements back to you. You can go on both sides of the row, of the tables and then in just a moment, we'll take the elements together.